1: Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I am your host Joe Prez, one of several lore-focused folks from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my marvelous co-host with me today, Matt Rossi. How are you today, Matt? I'm good. That's good. I'm also good. Uh, I have my Hellboy um,
2: RPG here. It's the one from like like 20 years ago. Oh, nice. Yeah, the Garps one, and they've been—I guess—they're releasing one for Five E. Yes, and it just—it's weird to look and realize. I, I don't know how much. I haven't read an issue of Hellboy in a long time. I don't know how much the story has advanced since this one came out. So, yeah, that's just—it's interesting to think about.
1: And which is also interesting because I just ordered the Hellboy board game from Mantic because I wanted the minis, and the game looks absolutely hysterically fun. And hysterically, as much as a Hellboy game can be fun, but we're not here to talk about Hellboy. Although we could, but we can talk about that later. Uh, we're here to answer your questions about lore in uh, the games of Blizzard Entertainment, and today we are going to be doing just that. We have several questions from all of you out there. A couple carryovers from last week. Uh, We appreciate you sending those in. Again, if you have questions for this podcast or the other podcast or the queue, you can send them in. Uh, We do have two channels dedicated to it on the Blizzard Watch Discord server. Uh, We do look at the patron and supporter one first, uh, for obvious reasons, uh, but we do check the other ones, which, again, these are from all over the place. If Discord's not your thing and you want to go ahead and send us an email, you can send it to us at podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Without further ado, let's start this off with the first question, which is actually, Three parts. Uh, question for Lorewatch from Quervos, Elemental Shaman in Argentan, EU. Hello, watchers. Based on the fact that Nathanos is killed by the PC in the prepatch, three outcomes have to come to mind. Uh, mild spoilers there, but I think that was pretty much apparent for everybody that's been paid attention. We never hear from him again. He's done the Asa la Vista, baby. He comes back in Shadowlands, and killing him was part of a strategy made by Sylvanas, so he is still a bad guy. Three, he comes back in Shadowlands, but as he will not be an undead anymore, probably, he comes around about what he's done and will in fact help us take down Sylvanas as a redemption arc. Please share your thoughts on which you think is more likely to happen, or maybe you think something else entirely may happen. Keep the good work.
2: I've actually recoiled in horror at the very idea of a redemption arc for Nathanos.
1: You know what's funny, though? Like... You're recoiled by it, but this is something I was actually kind of wondering about. Before
2: you, before you do,
1: before Go you ahead. say that, let me explain
2: my thinking here. Have you guys ever played Star Wars, uh, The old Re- Knights of the Old Republic 2?
1: I have, extensively.
2: Do you remember the line where Kreia says, Redemption is a kind of spiritual collapse, a fall that few recover from? Mm-hmm. I, that's Nathanos. I don't think... I, not everybody can be redeemed. Some yeah. characters in order to have a redemption arc, there needs to be willingness. And it needs to be from your own actions and choices, not I got killed, so now I feel bad. I, I don't know how else to explain it. Not, not only
1: being well, killed is not a magical salve that purges a person of all the bad choices they've made is what you're basically implying.
2: Yeah, and also I don't think Nathanos is never like his choices have never been, you know... You can't blame the things people do on them being undead. Being undead is a horrible thing to endure. Absolutely. But it doesn't make you do awful things. And Nathanos says, just... If we leave aside the awful acts he has committed, he's just an unpleasant person. And that's okay. Some people are unpleasant people. They don't all have to be good people. Um, Sylvan, you know, Sylvanas... There's a lot more depth in that regard, but Nathanos has never been presented as anything but a thoroughgoing jerk. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like and... he's just terrible. He's terrible to his own people, even. He's terrible to the people he works with. He's terrible to everyone but Sylvanas. He is essentially her dog. He is. That and... likes just her. And that's it. I, I don't I, I'm I'm much more comfortable with two because I've I've thought from the beginning I've thought that he was that, that his getting himself killed was going to be the easiest way for him to get to the Shadowlands. You know, it's not like he's got access to a giant portal, so if he wants to get there, well, there's one really surefire way to get there, isn't there? Yep. Um. So, yeah that part I can see, but I'm going to shut up now so you can talk. I don't want to, didn't want to interrupt you, but I just
1: had no, 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 no. And that's perfectly fine. And that, and that's something that this is the reason I've been thinking about this isn't so much that I think that he's going to get a redemption arc, but it raises a lot of questions because while there was a plan in place, did Sylvanas's plan include him after this, she had to have known that he was going to be killed or whatever the case is. And he had to know that as well, but did they know the aftermath of it? And that is the million dollar question. Uh, it also, after playing through a bunch of the Shadowlands stuff, there's this weird disconnect where, where does Nathanos go? Is he in the maw? Is his soul weighed from his actions before he was raised as an undead? Before he was a member of the Scourge? Or is it everything that happened from between then and now? Uh, is there a piece of him that was lost when he became Scourge? Which this is a question we don't know the answer to still. Uh, because I mean, th- well, that's
2: actually interesting to think about. I'm going to I'm not interrupting you continue to go. I'm just you just gave me an idea.
1: Yeah, because this is something I've been thinking about, too, especially since we were talking about how a lot of these zones, a lot of these areas in the Shadowlands require you to make a sacrifice, whether it is a piece of your hubris, your sin, uh, whether it is your pride, or whether it is your memories, whether it is your identity there's always a piece of you that gets stripped away. And even in Ardenwell, which is like the cycle of rebirth. And, and there's a lot of uh, functions that push you back into the world. You're no longer the person you were potentially. Uh, it, there are maybe some exceptions. Ardenwell gets really weird with the whole wild one, wild gods thing and, and stuff like that, but, and Loa as well. So we can, that that's also hanging out in the back of my mind, but it's a question of when the scourge were killed, we know that the machine of death wasn't broken yet did part of their souls get carried over when they were shoved back into their bodies, even as the scourge, was it just a piece of animating force that was shoved in there? Is there a possibility that in the case of Nathanos, there are two parts of him running around? We know that, I guess the question is whether his raised life was a new life with just the memories of his old self. So I've been wondering if when he gets there, or if he gets to the Shadowlands, if there's another version of him that sh- that Solanus didn't account for, or if there's another piece of him that, when he gets pushed back into there, doesn't think necessarily... About, think about
2: what you're saying, though. Think about what you're saying. If everything you just postulated is true, and there is another Nathanos waiting there, why wouldn't there be another Sylvanas waiting
1: I was also going to get to that. (laughs) But that's the other thing, too, because now we have Sylvanas and now we have the whole Arthas thing. Is he split? There's a lot of possibilities here for it. Now, as far as going back to the whole Nathanos thing, I don't think it's possible that he's going to magically become a good guy. I think that the most that we could possibly see as a deviation from I'm going to be a bad guy continued still. And this is part of our grand scheme is that Sylvanas forgets him. Sylvanas doesn't need him anymore. And when he presents himself to her in the Shadowlands, because she has no need for him, she rejects him out of hand again. Because remember, she doesn't want to feel, she doesn't want to, you know, have these these weird mortal attachments anymore. He is one of those things. She loved him in life. And that carried over a little bit into unlife. So if she's trying to sever all of that and she does that with him... I don't think he becomes a good guy. I think maybe he finds a way to, I don't know, pull the rug out from under her at a certain moment, and that's the best that I think you could hope for. I don't think he's going to become an Arrow Flynn swinging in, you know, I'm here to save the day because I have repent for everything horrible I've done. That ain't going to happen. Yeah, I just
2: find myself wondering if... I don't think we're going to get the thing you just suggested. I think I don't think we're going to get it because... I don't think, as a narrative device, that people would get it. I agree. Uh, so I don't think we're going to see two Sylvanases or two Nathanoses or anything like
1: that. <clears throat> but but parts of their essence d- might be there.
2: No, see, this thing again. If you do, if you do the thing where, well, this is a part of their essence. If you make it anything other than like you know of a, a light bulb they find and touch and for a moment have a flashback, yeah, then it wouldn't work because people would never accept it. I, I keep going back to Warlords of Draenor. People were very confused by it. The fact that it wasn't mainstream time travel, that it was an alternate reality, people did not get it.
1: Oh, agreed. Yeah.
2: And if, if you put people in a position of like, you know, okay, this is a part of Sylvanas that's wandering around, and like, you know, she can confront it, and, and it, no, they, they just they won't accept it. Um, I'm not saying it's a bad idea. I honestly think it would be interesting. Um, another thing that would be interesting would be to to speculate that straight up. No forsaken, no undead, no scourge have a soul. Mm-hmm. their souls are gone that's in fact the source of their torment their soul is already left
1: and that they're just I pure anima or something like
2: that. Know, they're just they not even pure anima they just they're, in fact they're not anima they're that's just, why their existence is horrible yeah they're because just a battery. they're not they're there's they exist but they don't have the spark of life they don't have a soul they don't have the things that make a living being what it is. That, but they have a brain, and the brain is trying to, you know, go without it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of ways you can go with it. Um, I don't think they're going to do them. Because in the end, <clears throat> it would be a really neat way around all this. If if at the end, Sylvanas' soul is put back into her body, and she's a living person again. I don't expect that that's going to happen. Because it would be too neat. And people would, would be like, what? No. Yeah. Uh, and it comes back to around to, like, a lot of these ideas are cool. Like I mean, I've I've been a big supporter of of making Sylvanas actually be alive again, so she'd have to face all the things that that she did while she was undead. Now, if her soul has been out of her body the whole time, basically it it's in an afterlife right now, and then you know it you have to be confronted with what your body did in your name, and you're like, but I was here, you know, I I wasn't, you know. I don't know if you. We're going back to comic books again. Have you ever read the comic book Quiver, the Green uh, Arrow one yeah. that Kevin Smith wrote? Yeah, oh well, yeah. When Hal Jordan decided he was going to recreate Ollie Queen. Yes. But he did it without his soul, which was up in heaven the whole time. Yep. And eventually, they had to put the soul back in the body in order to save uh, Ollie's son from a guy who was going to steal his body and go around doing horrible things. I, I find myself like you know that that's a story that would be very interesting, but I don't think they're going to do it. I don't think they're going to do anything that makes it so that the, the people who are acting aren't the people.
1: Yeah, in I, any way,
2: and I agree. And but that being said, I absolutely don't think we're never going to hear from Nathanos Thanos again. That no. just no, no and way. It's impossible, especially especially not in this expansion. This is not the expansion where killing somebody gets rid of them. Um, it's like, uh, okay, so he's dead. Whoopee. That that's that's like, th- there's a big rip in the sky where the dead are, you know, coming through. I'm not sure that this is a particularly effective strategy for dealing with him. It would have been more effective to actually lock him up somewhere because then he'd be locked up and he couldn't do anything, you know. It, but you know, this way he's ring, he's around the Maw. I expect it's either going to be two or a variety of three closer to the one you talked about. Like I don't think. It would need to be that he has a soul fragment. I think you could literally just have him get to the maw, and Sylvanas is just like doesn't even like he's he's going my you know my queen, and she just walks away and leaves him. And then later on, he breaks out of the maw and and goes for vengeance for her having you know broken his heart and abandoned him. That I could see. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that that's what's going to happen because I, I don't know that Sylvanas would do that. Just because. She's she's not really one to waste raw material. And Nathanos has more more often than not has proved useful. I mean, yes, he didn't successfully kill Buonsamdi, but he's did a he's done a lot of other things for her. You know what I mean? So I'm not sure. But I, that, but I lean just... I lean towards two. I do think, however, it would be interesting if there is if they did come out and say that there's when you die like that when you die and become undead a piece of you is left behind i think that would be interesting and i and think I, I would like to see stuff with it i just don't expect it
1: yeah i don't expect it but i think that there's this is one of those rare opportunities that they could try to get a little metaphysical with it and and go a little bit of the philosopher route More so than anything, because one of the things that I see stressed in a lot of these, these zones is that this isn't the mortal world, right? Like this isn't the world we know everything says that to you at some point. Uh, you know, time has no meaning. Our sins don't have any meaning. Who we were has no meaning, whatever the case is. Uh, this is a new fantastical realm where we don't know all the rules. And so we could start to learn more about it, especially as we start to learn more about how the helmet domination was crafted, how Frostborn was crafted, how that actually like inner interacts with what happened with the whole coming about of the Lich King in the first place. Like, we know we're going to find out about that, but it would be interesting if in the course of that, we find out more about the scourge itself, because one thing, like if you go around, uh, Maldraxxus, there's a whole lot of like, this is proto scourge. This is what the scourge is templated after, right? Like the, the weird abominations, the weird soul stitching, all of these things, all these things that the Lich King did, there's always, like, a little piece of it that's like, oh, I could see where he got the idea from it. I could see where he got the idea from it. And there are things that look like they belong almost to the original Scourge. They're almost like mindless carrion in Maldraxxus. Maybe there's more to it, and I would love to see something that goes into that a little bit more. Again, don't know if we're ever going to get that, but I personally would like to see something more about it because it is a rare opportunity for them to flesh out something that I don't think they've ever had an opportunity to even attempt at fleshing out before outside of something like Chronicle. All right, I think we've answered that one pretty good, so we'll move on to the next one. Uh, question for Lorewatch. Recently I've completed ahead of the curve and in doing so received the uncorrupted Voidwing. The quest has you taking the drake to Ratheon, who uncorrupts it and gives it back to you to take care of. This got me thinking of drakes, wellplanes, and dragons. Are my mounts and pence sentient dragonkin like the other, like the ones who take on human form from time to time, or just primal beings? Is there something that separates the different dragons, Proto-Drakes excluded, from being like the ones that interact with people, or is it similar to Goofy and Pluto, where, yes, they are exactly the same, and no, we don't talk about it. Sincerely, Flanageddon.
2: What do you think? Uh, yes, they're exactly the same, and no, we don't talk about it. <laughs> I
1: mean, there's nothing in-game.
2: that In-game, in fact... When you get the Nether Drakes the first time, you are explicitly told that these are just dragons. That that they are members of the dragonflight That are the, the thing is is you don't own that Drake. That Drake is helping you. The in-game fiction of the of the Nether Drake is that the Nether Drake is assisting you, not that it is your. It's not like you're in in real life. If one owns a horse, one owns the horse. One puts the horse in a stable one feeds the horse, one cleans up after the horse. That is not the case for a drake mount. The drake mount is a drake. It's letting you ride on its back to get places, but it is not your drake. You do not own it. It is not a slave. It could choose not to take you someplace, uh, again, in the fiction of the game. Um, it's, it's just, that's how that works. Um, it gets kind of weird when you start getting into mounts that are like, you know, uh corrupted void dragon or what have you, then you start getting into weird stuff. But yeah, the whelps and drakes are just dragons. They they are not they they're not semi-dragons. They're not, you know, not, again, proto-drakes is different because proto-drakes are not fully uh sapient beings. And there's a difference between sapience and sentience. Your dog that you own right now is sentient. Uh it has senses and it can sense the world around it. Um, that's the case for anything that's sentient. Sentience does not include does not indicate sapience. They are different qualities. Um, sapience is the
1: quality of being able to think. Yeah, it's like wisdom, right? Essentially,
2: it, it's reason. You know, thinking man who thinks almost sapiens. Sapience, yeah. sapience. Um, sapience is the ability to think. Now we, we're we're learning that possibly there are more things that are sapient than we understand. But for purposes of the discussion, you could have a sentient anything. Like any animal is sentient. The most animals, and, and some things that are not even considered animals, like fungus and plants, can respond to the world around them. They can understand more than just pre-programmed stuff. There, it's, it's established that some plants have, when they're damaged, release a chemical into the air that other plants can detect and will respond to. They'll, they'll change the way they are as much as they're able to to avoid harm. Yeah. So so that's a sentient response. It's I don't it doesn't have a nervous system, it doesn't have a brain, but it does have the ability to detect those chemicals and change. It has the ability to sense the world around it. That's sentience. Now, we can go back and forth on this. And this is a lore show and not Matt Rossi ineptly discusses, you know, qualities of of psychology and and thought. However, in terms of what we're talking about in the game, yes, your drake mount is just a drake like any other drake. It is not a special drake that isn't as smart as the other drakes. This isn't what we, you know, this is not remedial school for drakes. Uh, your drake is as smart as any other drake. It's, it is in fact an intelligent being. It is carrying you because it chose to. Yeah. In the fiction of the game.
1: Yeah. And it's one of those things that they've, they've never really explained in game. And it's one thing that they've never explained really out of game. And it's, I guess one of those things where for the most part, uh, it's just sort of choose your own adventure as far as what you believe actually happens to, uh, these like mounts that you collect because at the end of the day, you are literally a hero character in a f- high fantasy world carrying around 500 mounts in your pocket. Um, I choose to think of it more as you have ways to summon. Th- magical creatures essentially whether they beckon to your aid or are constructs in the in the terms of like the arcane constructs that the mages summon uh or you know elementals that are brought up from the planes in the terms of like shamans bring up or dragons that are you know coming to your whistle because you punched them and they respect you uh there's many ways to justify it but matt has the right of it in every aspect of i'm sorry go ahead
2: I'm just going to point out, when you get your Netherwing Drake, this is the quest text. Yep. And this quest text is from the Drake that you will be riding. It is an honor to meet you, Name. We have all been keeping a close eye on your adventures and are grateful for all you have done for the Netherwing Drake of Dragonflight. If you choose me as your compatriot, I will fly you to the ends of this world and back. Whatever it is, whatever it is you ask of me, I will do my best to comp- to comply. Be warned that you may only select one of us for your journeys in Outland. Once the selection has been made, you cannot change your mind. So, for in the game's fiction, that Netherwing Drake is an intelligent being who is choosing to ferry you around. Now, not every mount has a quest involved in it, so you don't get like a, you don't actually have the mount giving you a quest to get it, but like you did with the Netherwing. But again, in the in the fiction of the game, drakes are intelligent beings, and if you are riding around on one you're riding around on an intelligent being now no. they don't no for instance if you get the drake mount off of uh deathwing um there's two of them actually the blazing drake and the other one um they basically look like like a, they look like uh, alex they're like Alexstrasza drakes there's absolutely nothing explaining what that drake is how you got it and why it's letting you ride around on it there's just it's there and you have it um, there's no quest where the Drake is like, "Thanks for saving me." I know all those other Drakes were corrupted by Deathwing, but I managed to not be corrupted, and now I'll help you out. Nope, there's nothing. You just got it.
1: Again, but, it's, a, it, it's a game. There's going to be some things we have to sort of uh, Anixia take...
2: Drake. No, no explanation to yeah. why you have an Anixia Drake. There's just it's there, and this also goes for for like you know battle pet whelps. There's nothing. There's no like, very, I don't think there's a single quest in the game where one of the wilds says like, "I'll help you out for a while by beating up on like squirrels," <laughs> because you could that could happen. You could definitely be using an old dragonfly te- dra- drake team against squirrels. It, it could happen. I love pet battles sometimes, <laughs> but yeah, there's, there's nothing nothing about it in the game. You just kind of have to go with it. Just just roll with it, man, because that's where that's where we are.
1: All right, moving on to our next one because I don't think there's much more we can get out of that one for now. Uh, this I'm is just of-
2: imagining whelplings fighting
1: squirrels. Yeah, just <laughs> the, the super I- animosity. I will help you. I hate squirrels. These guys are jerks. <laughs> This one comes from our friend Tetsumi. Uh, From quest text in Venthyr quest area, the Ember Ward uh, is a land of madness and torture. Blighted by the light, the master sends his most hated enemies there to suffer unending agony. Would you speculate that this is an unintended side effect due to how the light affects the dead, i.e. forsaken, or Venthyr specifically? Or did someone weaponize the light, capital L, again? I haven't gotten through a whole bunch of the Venthyr area yet, so I'm going to rely on you if you have anything for this one. I think it's basically... Um,
2: we've already seen that the light is very much a thing in Bastion. So I don't think that the light just affects the dead. That's not the case here. Um, Bastion is absolutely chock full of the light, and it's not a problem for the dead there. Um, I think it's it's definitely... Related to the Venthyr themselves now, but keep in mind that the holy light affects those the forsaken when it's used to heal them It does forsaken can go out in a day just fine and forsaken can channel the light um, I, I keep going back to like, you know, that's that particular scourge whose name is, at the moment I'm forgetting but he's one of the four horsemen Zeliac uh, mm-hmm. So Zeliac was powerful enough to control the light while he was dead uh, I definitely think that the Holy Light has a problem with Forsaken, but it doesn't have the problem with the dead. I mean, Calyamenefel, dead as they get, and just jam full of the light. She's like just walking around with it. it it's, I think it's a more sophisticated thing than that. Um, but I definitely think it has a problem with the Venthyr Have a problem with it, and I think that problem is related to what the Venthir are.
1: Basically, their the Venthyr, function, right?
2: Yeah, the Venthir are, uh, they're basically soul vampires like they're they're vampires but vampires that, that don't drain your blood they drain you every mistake you ever made every fault every sin they drain it out of you they 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 shrive you of you and as a result th- what's the thing that the the, the entire me- message of the light is that there's one path if there's one path you know you'd think they'd be okay with purifying people to pursue it, wouldn't you? I mean, that's the whole deal with Illidan. When Illidan destroys Zira, it's very much him saying you know, I would do anything to defeat the Legion, but not this. You know, I I won't let you take my scars. Um, There's that whole idea of what makes you who you are. And that's a fascinating thing that I I would like to see more about it. Like, we know that the origin of the Vinthir lies in Sire Denathrius himself. What made Sire Denathrius? What is he? That I don't think has been really. We, we don't know. We know that he's you know been he's ancient and he's very much connected to Revendreth. But what is he? Yeah, we don't know that
1: about a lot of the uh, the coven leaders, right, or the coven oh, we, or progenitors. I guess I should say. Yeah,
2: we don't we don't really know much of anything. Like uh, the one in Maldraxxus is missing, and we don't know what happened to it. Uh, and there's others. I mean, what's the deal with the Archon? I mean, there's there's a lot. So. I do think that there's more to be seen. I definitely think it's Venthyr-related. It's Venthyr-specific. And I, I don't... I mean, I don't have a problem with saying that someone has weaponized the light. I mean, people weaponize the light all the time. The the the, uh, the Naru are all about it. I mean, we, we've seen huge light-powered warships. Uh, so I don't have a problem with that. But I... Don't I can't make that judgment right now. There's nothing in game yet that is making me think that there's a big... That someone's using the light to, to attack the Venthyr. I think the light is just there, and it just hurts the Venthyr, based on what I've seen. It, but maybe I could see something else, and i change my opinion. It, it depends.
1: Yeah, and then the only thing that I really have to speculate on is just the way that the entire realm is made. So everything has a very distinct aesthetic or a very distinct um, feel to it as far as when you're going through it. So like Bastion feels like a land touched by the light. And when you go to a blighted area, it, you, you feel it. It's Ardenwell does a land eternally in twilight. Uh, and when you go to a darkened or off area, you feel it like there, there's a very distinct tonal shift here. I don't know if I've like me personally, cause I haven't done everything in there yet. I don't know if there is like a corrupted area because the entire area is just mired in like this ever present darkness of sin and depravity. The same thing that they're supposed to be cleansing souls of. And I think that because of that, because of that function, that that way that that functions is they're constructed in such a manner to live in that darkness, right? Like There's a
2: the whole thing about the whole, the whole idea of the venthyr is that, the ventir that you meet aside from denathrius are people who went through the process yeah they they've been reforged and then, right and then they were given an option do you want to move you can go back into the light and be judged or you can stay here and be one of us and help help us in our mission so essentially everyone who every ventir has been drained and then moves on to drain others so it's again it's very vampiric in terms of the metaphor of it so i think that the that that's something to consider when you're dealing with with Revendreth.
1: Yeah, and I and I think we'll find out more as time progresses as well. And I, it's a, it, I know it feels like such a cop out answer, but we don't know nearly enough yet. Uh, and I think that a lot of that will be revealed as we move through, as we learn more about Sardinathrius and how the Venthyr are actually constructed and what actually happens to, you know, redeemed souls, aside from they are reforged into the Venthyr, which is all we know right now. So there's a a ton of wiggle room, but I think it has something to do with that forging process and being built for that specific role, because... Not everything there, I think, is tortured by the light, but not everything there is venthyr, right? They're not all vampires. So I think that has something to do with it, but we'll see. We'll see what happens as we make our way further through that. Our next question comes from Braylin. Hello, watchers. Braylin again, longtime patron supporter and human paladin from Dethicus here. Thanks for answering my question a couple weeks ago. Unfortunately, I realized I was too clever by half and I ended up painting you into a corner while my actual ask was muddied. So I'm going to try again. Varian's death allowed for a ton of character development from other characters that were stagnating because he had a tendency to hog the spotlight. If he had retired, as Rossi suggested, we would not have have had Gen finding a surrogate son to replace Liam, or Anduin finding a surrogate father to replace Varian. We might not have had the tension between Anduin and Sylvanas to such a degree, merely because Varian was still lurking in the wings. So at least in my opinion, his death opened up a ton of development for other characters whose relationships and personalities were underdeveloped because of his presence. Are there any other characters whose presence you feel limits the development of others, and if so, who might they be? I think that's a much better question than who needs but to I die. don't, I straight up don't agree with it. I,
2: uh, and I didn't agree yeah. with it before. I wouldn't misunderstand you. Uh, straight up, I don't agree with you. Um, I know, now, you're right in that certain stories wouldn't happen if Varian were alive. That's, that's a fair statement. I agree with that. Uh, I don't think that it means Varian is limiting the development of others. Um, if they wanted to do a story where, that's, that implies that there's only one path to development for these characters. You could absolutely do a story with Varian still alive, where Anduin be, is doing stuff, where Varian, where Gen is doing stuff. It doesn't have to be the same stuff. All The death of a character does allow you to do th- different things than if they were still alive. That part I will agree with. That doesn't necessarily mean that the things they do are necessarily the best thing you can do. And that's... I'll always be on the side of keeping characters around as much as possible. Like, very rarely do I feel like a character death is necessary in fiction like that. Yeah. Uh, um, There certainly are times. Like, for instance, I'm just going to say it. The Joker in DC Comics, if he died and stayed dead long enough for some stories to happen, I would be absolutely thrilled. And I probably wouldn't be that bothered if Batman died. So... I could, there are characters in fiction that I feel have that effect. Like if Batman died and stayed dead for 10 years and other people had to replace him and deal with his legacy, you could have some really great stories. Um, that's one of the reasons I'm really sad that they got rid of the multiverse for a while there and then brought it back, but now it's all messed up and doesn't make any sense. Uh, because they had the Earth 2 Batman who had died. Yeah. And so everybody in that world had to deal without having their Batman. So his daughter had to become a crime fighter and his adopted son, Dick Grayson, had to deal with, like, should I be Batman or should I just stay Robin? What should I do with my life? And, and to, to me, the World of Warcraft setting doesn't, isn't in a place where it has those characters yet, where they've been around for so long and they've had such an impact that their deaths are necessary. Even Sylvanas, even Thrall, I don't feel like they're... And in fact, I feel like we're seeing with Thrall that the, you can do this in Warcraft. You can rotate characters in and out. Yes. And you can focus on certain characters and then focus on different characters. And you don't have to kill them off or remove them. Um, I mean, even Medivh is still kind of around. I mean, yeah. there, there's, there's actually, like, if you did Karazhan and Legion, Medivh is still sort of here, but he's not up front and thus, the fact that he's not actually entirely dead doesn't really matter. It doesn't change the fact that Cadgar had to step up and try and replace him. And that Azeroth had to find a new way of defending itself. So, I get what you're saying. I do understand it. It's not that I don't understand it. I don't agree with your basic premise. No. And no, no amount of reworking the question is going to make me re- agree with the basic premise. I don't, there's no character that I feel like if they died it would make the story better. I feel like it would make the story different.
1: Yeah, and I don't think that, uh, and, I, I think that the evolution of the question or the meaning of the question wasn't necessarily so much if they died at this point. Uh, it's if like what you're saying I think is more akin to what Braylon was trying to get at, but I think oversimplified it. Uh, it's no, the I, idea of rotating people in and out to make way for other stories.
2: Let me put it to you this way: um, one of my favorite characters when I first played. World of Warcraft, was was Cairn Bloodhoof. I loved mm-hmm. Cairn. Like, Cairn made me play Horde. Like one I actually of One of the
1: greatest characters they've created.
2: I played Horde in vanilla. And people don't really understand this. They always think I hate the Horde. I never played Horde. But I did. I, I played Horde in vanilla. I loved playing Horde in vanilla. I loved my Tauren. To the point where my Tauren is on a World of Warcraft TCG card. I loved him. And I loved playing him. And when Cairn died... Yeah, it let Bane step up, and I like Bane. I think Bane's a great character, but it it hurt me in ways I don't have a I don't have an easy way to explain to you. It made playing Horde worse for me. Garrosh as a character is a very deep character, and there's a lot to him, and I think he's very interesting. But I did not want to play in a faction led by him, and the stuff he did as faction leader, I did not want a part of. And by the time that they had the rebellion against him at the end of Mr. Pandaria, I'd already checked out. And I really felt like, you know, if Karen were alive now, if Karen existed in this storyline, it could never have gone there. So if you wanted a, a character whose death did that kind of stuff, K- Karen Bloodhoof is a character whose death made a lot of different stories possible. But it also meant that I didn't really want to play in the faction anymore. And that's something we have to consider with character death.
1: Now, this is not to interrupt you, but I just want to throw my two cents in here. I think that maybe the opposite is more true when it comes to Warcraft in particular, in which I don't think character death or character removal necessarily opens things up. I think, if anything, with the way characters are currently set up, it paints them into unintentional corners. And I think we see that sometimes with how certain things are presented. Um, I think Thrall has escaped a lot of it just because he was allowed to step back and pivot because he wasn't integral to the story for so long. But even his removal painted Garrosh into a very specific direction. Uh, the idea of Varian's death painted Gen and Anduin into a very specific direction. I'm not saying these are unintentional. I'm not saying that these aren't planned. It's just. We're not even saying they're not good. Right. And and again the, the Gen anduin stuff is actually pretty first rate.
2: I like watching Gen and when and it's a story. And for that matter, uh I think that a lot of the stuff they did with Garage was really interesting. And if they if they'd done it in a certain way, I probably would've wanted to stay Horde. Um but I didn't because of certain like I just have a certain there's certain characters. Like if Gen if if Karen weren't dead The the horde would be very different right now. It would be, and And it's one of those things where you know, did the horde need to change? I I, maybe it did, you know. But a a lot of us who played horde in the beginning, we played horde with a very specific mentality. It was very much
1: we're the misfits that band together.
2: Yeah, post Warcraft three, it was very much you know we're the ones who band together. We're the underdogs. The horde of today is not the underdogs of anything. No, and it is. It's a very different feeling. Is it worse? No, but it doesn't make it better either.
1: Yeah. And, um, and, and again, I just want to present it in a way that maybe consider the question in reverse. And again, it's not like when we talk about this type of stuff, we want to make sure that we're covering as completely as possible. But I think Matt is right about it where we, we don't necessarily misunderstand your question in any capacity. It's, we don't necessarily agree that anybody needs to back off or retire or rotate out at specific intervals. It's what does it serve to the story? And the, the thing that we have to keep in mind too is Warcraft, as much as we want it to be this immersive, ever evolving world, and in some capacities it is, the story is being curated. And so anything that happens to these characters is being curated with a very specific goal in mind. Varian's death was specific, I believe, in facilitating exactly what you're talking about with Gen and Anduin. Volgen's death was very specific, and even now, he's back, and it was very likely, from the very beginning, his death was conceived for what we're about to do. Like, these are, these are things that all serve a greater overarching narrative. Now, if you were talking about something a little bit more like uh, a literary series or even a tabletop series, in which... And Matt and I think I think you've had experiences like this maybe in long term uh, campaigns in the past as well. Sometimes characters do need to be removed from those to make way for others. It's almost like a level twenty character palling around with some level twelves. Eventually, that level twenty character's got to go away for those twelves to get you know their time in the sun. It's not necessarily like that here. As much as we love this story, we are participants in something that's being predetermined. So you got to keep that in mind as well. So it's when you're asking this question, it's what story could be told that would facilitate the necessity of these people being removed. And I don't think that there is any specific indicators right now. And, and again, Matt can disagree with me, but I think you need to look at it from the different angle. Not, well, necessar- I... not necessarily who would benefit from this person, you know, being removed, but does it serve the story?
2: I'm going to look right, like looking right now at this at this particular part of your question. Are there other any other characters whose presence you feel limits the development of others? And if so, who might they be? Every character limits the development of others um, in some ways because that's the the nature of characters as they interplay. Um, you yeah, can't it's... name a character who doesn't limit other characters. At the same time that they facilitate each other. I mean, that's the other thing. Characters facilitate each other. Having Anduin as leader of the Alliance facilitates a relationship with Sylvanas that you wouldn't get with Varian. Um, Where Sylvanas would certainly still move against Varian, absolutely. She wouldn't look down on him the way she does on Anduin. She, She respected Varian. She didn't like him. They weren't friends. She would absolutely keep opposing him and she would still plot against him. Oh, absolutely. But she respected him. Yep. She doesn't respect Anduin. And that's a different... It's a different relationship. That's... You're, each character has different relationships. And those relationships... It depends on what relationships you want to cultivate. Which relationships you want to use for your storytelling. Um, I'm not arguing that... The reason I can't really answer your question is because they all do. Like all characters limit the development of others because a limit is like it's the boundaries in which something happens it's the the black lines you color in in your coloring book it's the the direction your plant grows it can only grow in so many directions it can't it can't simultaneously grow north and south at the same time i mean it may, some plants can and then they look really weird but everything you know the the, the flow of a river is controlled by its banks uh, that's the truth of every character inter- interrelationship and interdynamic is that that dynamic shapes who the characters are uh, so there are certainly like right now imagine if 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 they were to kill off um Tyrande. I'm not saying they should It's not saying I want this to happen absolutely I'm not but if Taronda were to die it would fundamentally change multiple characters it would yeah. change Malfurian. It would change Maev. It would change Chandris. It would change, like, you know, there, there's like, I mean, and you can think of, you'd have to sit and think about all the ways it would change them. Like, Malfurion would just go nuts. Like, I think we've, we've seen enough that Malfurion is emotionally dependent on Taranda on a deep, deep level, much more so than she is on him. She loves him, but she is not as dependent on him because she's had to not be. Over yeah, the was... past 10,000 years, she had to learn to do without him. Exactly. But he was asleep. He was asleep for all of it. He was not conscious, so he didn't develop that. He does not have that well of independence. Tyrande, who a Tyrande who lost Malfurion would be deeply saddened. A, a Malfurion who loses Tyrande would be broken, and that's the difference. And that's one example of what I'm, ta- I'm talking about when I'm saying all characters are. Because then look at Maiev. Maiev has defined herself in great in great deal to like what she lost to Tyrande, and what her relationship with Taranda has been. They've been rivals, they've been, you know, one has been the, the, the ruler of the other, they've been opposed, they've worked together. A Maiev without Taranda would suddenly have to face up to, like, an entire world where that person who stepped in and took the fate you thought you were going to have isn't there anymore. And we've seen that with with, with Mayev and, and in you know like what is she, what is she doing now she does not know what to do with herself and that's these characters infect each other they affect each other they are part of each other there's there's an old poem i can't remember who this is by so i apologize but it says like, your absence has gone through me like thread through a needle everything i do is stitched with its color that's people are to each other and and that's what characters are to each other so if you're looking for me to say a character that, you know, they should get rid of this character so other characters can change, no, because whether or not you get rid of characters, characters can always change. But absolutely every character can have that effect. Look at what happened to Alex Alexstrasza in, in the uh, Thrall Twilight of the Aspects book. Look what happened when she lost her sec- her, her current consort, Coriola Strauss. Look at what's happened to her since. The, these characters... Affect each other, and they they are they do change the story when they're gone. But any character does that, so that's why I can't I can't sit here and pick out you know if Varian had stayed alive and Anduin had died, can you imagine what Varian yeah. would be like right now?
1: Yeah, I think I think it's safe to say that everything, every character is interwoven uh, to some point, and no matter what happens, uh, as far as we're concerned. And I think this is safe for saying for both of us, there isn't anybody that we would remove or that we see as a roadblock for somebody else because everybody is is interlaced between each other, those relationships are what help uh the story along. They are they're part and parcel with it. Uh so I think I think that answers that question as thoroughly as uh, we one, can.
2: One, no, no, I actually have more. Um I'm gonna say this too. Because World of Warcraft as a setting is about 20 25 years old at this point I mean the, the Warcraft setting is in its it's in its 20s it is much more developed than some and much less developed than others the Marvel Comics Universe has been around since the 1960s some some of the characters from DC comics have been published for about, almost a hundred years at this point we are heading up like Superman will be a hundred within like 20 years hmm so Warcraft is unique in that it is both extremely expansive and still fairly young. Uh, It's much more expansive than say, I'm going to use another example from video games. It's much more expansive than, than Greyhawk, which is much older, but it's much less expansive than the forgotten realms, which is a little bit older. And these settings all have characters that evolve, that that can get replaced, that get, you know, taken away and they don't make it, they, they don't, prevent the character from developing they just change the way it develops and that's what I really want to be like. that's my emphasis here the characters don't prevent other characters from developing they just change the way they're developing and in the case of Warcraft I don't feel like any character in Warcraft is detrimental to the development of other characters can that happen? I suppose it can if one, if certain characters get all the spotlight but we've seen what happens in WoW that doesn't happen because characters if anything people are like how come this character wasn't involved in this? Like right now people are like why isn't Cadgar doing anything? And the real answer to why isn't Cadgar doing anything there's is that players. they they don't feel like there's any point to him being involved. Yeah. It won't make the story any better.
1: They have what they need right now. Yeah. So And I think
2: that's a fascinating way to look at it. Um there is a there is a mechanism in the game for Characters to be put to the spotlight. that doesn't require the removal of other characters. But that doesn't mean it'll never come. And it doesn't mean that when it does happen, it isn't interesting. and doesn't provide opportunity. I'm not trying to say that. Um, I think... But here's an example. What's really come upon the death of Tyrion Fordring?
1: Nothing as of yet.
2: So sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it can. But Tyrion Fordring's death hasn't really... It, it's one thing that the, the death of Tyrian Fordring has allowed. It's allowed paladins to fight paladins. Because when Tyrion Fordring was around, the idea of paladins fighting paladins wouldn't have been allowed. So that's, that's something I wanted to, to get in there. That there's sometimes de- the development doesn't happen.
1: All right, well, again, I think that's been a very thorough answer. Our next question comes from our friend Underbash. Hello, Lore Watchers. In the first couple quests in Hygel, Ysera said that the rift that weakens the boundaries of Azeroth also hastened the return of the ancients. With what we know about Ardenweald, that got me thinking... We don't really know how old the Shadowlands are, right? But the Elemental Plane was created to imprison the Elemental Lords. If their incursion into Azeroth somehow had an effect on the return of the Ancients, do you think that maybe, when the Elemental Plane was created, it was tied in some capacity to the Shadowlands? Thanks and keep doing what you do." We know to a certain effect that they were, right? And we know that that was because the Elemental Planes were prisons that were created by Helya. And where did she get the idea for this? By looking into the Shadowlands. Uh, I forgot the exact point where we're pretty much shown, like told that, but there are, that's where the idea basically comes from. You can, that she learned that she could create pocket dimensions. And that's what they are, right? They're these little pocket planes of existence that she created as prisons for specifically these elementals.
2: I'm going to actually say that I don't think there's anything that specifically says what you just said. It's just very easily inferable from what we do know about Helia. We know that Helia and Ra'den worked together to create the elemental planes. We know that Helia was an expert in the Shadowlands and could reach into them. Because that's how Odin got to look into them. It was Helya that was Helia that brought him into communication with whatever he communicated with that made him the deal to make the, the Valkyr that was all Helya yeah. so we know that all the pieces you just said are there I don't think there's anything yeah. that ever specifically says Helya got the idea for the elemental first off because she didn't have the idea for the elemental planes end did
1: oh that makes she sense helped, yeah, yeah yeah yeah. she
2: helped end do it she didn't do it but that being said everything you said is there to imply it there, there, there is connections between all those moments, and what's really interesting about that to me is we know that Helia was opposed to the creation of the Valkyrie. Yeah, and Odin did it anyway, and in fact did it to her, uh, which which is possibly one of the reasons that she's working with the jailer now. She's you know bitter and angry about that whole thing. But what's really interesting is like what when they made the elemental planes, where did like since it was rodan's idea how much of it did he leave to her like did he is he was he a concept guy was he one of those people people's like we should build places that are like entire universes or, but trapped you know and then just leave it to her to do and she's like okay um
1: or was it something he couldn't touch because he was a titan
2: maybe well you know he was he was a titan forged like oh well, yeah titan he forged he was an actual watcher i don't think she was but but regardless Like, we don't know. There's a lot we don't know here, but there's interesting possibilities to the idea that the elemental planes are in some way hooked into the structure of the Shadowlands, or at least the structure of the cosmos of which the Shadowlands is one part. Because we know there's other planes of existence besides the Shadowlands, too. Um, We know that there's the Twisting Nether, which we've gone into and out of all the time, and that's another realm of existence. Uh, We know that there's the plane that the, the Titan's souls seem to have come from, that's a realm of pure arcane energy. Is it possible this goes wider than just the Shadowlands? Like, was all when when those structures began to go, did they begin to pull in other stuff too, and not just the Shadowlands? There's a lot to it. I, I do find myself wondering about that. Rodin, Rodin and Odin were were pretty big rivals. Yeah. And the idea that Rodden is the one who wanted to do it first is the was odin trying to get an end run around it like there's a lot to it here
1: and it would make sense too because it seems at least with the valkyr and with what odin wanted to do basically circumvent the whole system of death that seems like almost like a direct response of oh they can create prison planes oh if Rodin knows about this and i know about this this is what they're trying to do well, what if I do this? So maybe there's something there, but I'm sure we're going to find out a little bit more about it because there is reference to elementals in Shadowlands as you're moving through things. They're here and there. They're not exactly like thrown in your face, but there is the potential that we will discover more because especially elementals are, are beings that consume spirit and spirit is essentially anima. And that is all what the Shadowlands is all about. So there, there's very... If we go by that, that logic, there's probably going to be a link at some point that we're going to discover or that's going to be talked about. I would be very surprised if there is not. Well, plus I mean, oh, another thing to think about while we're talking about this.
2: Helia trapped Odin in the Halls of Valor using the same method. Yep. And he couldn't get out. Like, like he could send himself into he Azeroth.
1: he could project, but, but that was He it. couldn't
2: yeah, he couldn't leave. And that's interesting to me because the rift created by you know the rift that weakened the boundaries of Azeroth thing that that there's a lot to this, there's a lot going on here that I, I really would like to hear more about. Like Hyjal and and the the importance of Hyjal predated the Well of Eternity being placed there. Hyjal and and Zandalar were these two mountains that apparently a lot of the Loa and wild gods used as homes. They were the places that they went back to mm-hmm. when they got back from Ardenweald. And that's interesting to me. Like, how does that? Like, we have these connections between Azeroth and Azeroth's natural world and the Emerald Dream, which existed before it was shaped by by you know the Titans. There was the Emerald Dream still existed as kind of Azeroth's something, kind of like it's unconscious or what have you. And that connects to Ardenweald. What is? Does that make Ardenweald like the the reflection of of the Emerald Dream? Like, are they are they sister realms? And if they are, is one the living one and one the dead one? Like how does that? How do you pass from one to the other?
1: Especially when we're being told that the Emerald Dream was conceived as a backup copy for Azeroth. Is that a lie? Is that misinformation? We know that. That's or is something- that just what the
2: Titans made out of it?
1: Or exactly, or is that the Titans' interpretation of it? And we know that the Titans can be unreliable narrators, uh, as we've seen countless times between uh, Loken and that whole thing. But we, yeah, and I'm not even th- talking about that. Not immu- but I'm just saying, like, their stuff's not immutable. So even if they had an idea of it, did they? Is it? Did they know what they were looking at? And if they did, was it intentionally not told to us what it was to keep us from mucking about with it?
2: And that's interesting, and certainly not to be dismissed either. Um, but I mean, even if you assume that they weren't bullshitting us, sorry that we got one. That, that's um, the one. <laughs> yeah. But even if we assume that they weren't, they weren't just covering their butts. They weren't just giving us something that that we would understand. They found something and tried to make something else out of it, because that's kind of what they do. Yeah. They try to impose order on things. But if the Emerald Dream and Ardenweald are fundamentally connected you might not be able to impose order on it. You know, it transcends life and death, you know, and one, you know, if the Ardenwild is the, the necessary shadow, the winter court to the summer court of the Emerald Dream, you know, to use fay stuff, because we know the night fey are in Ardenwild. does that mean there's day fey in the Emerald Dream? We've not actually been there yet. We've, We've been in, a piece in briefly... Yeah, but we've been in like little pockets of it. The places we've been that have been part of the Emerald Dream aren't necessarily any more necessarily the Emerald and, Dream. And the than- interesting
1: thing that you you know now that I'm thinking about it, and, and this is to- totally just out of left field, and I'm sorry I don't mean to interrupt you, but I you mentioned something that just made me remember the original artwork for the Emerald Dream way back in vanilla, like All those weird faces, Ardenweld. It's it it looks a lot like Ardenweld, and yes, that could be an effect of you know the art team you know updating stuff from and from the archives but that would be a really interesting thread if what you're saying is absolutely true and the emerald dream was modeled after Ardenweld. you know for whatever capacity we're not that even m- fascinated what if or the places
2: have always been no not not copy or of, or always not,
1: existed yes
2: but just imagine you've got like a, when you go up to a mirror and you move your hand the hand in the, the reflection hand moves in the same you know direction like, you in the mirror, you, you... You can't... Did you create the reflection? It's a reflection of you. Like, that. that's what gets me about this. Like, we don't... There's so much we don't know about the Emerald Dream. Like, we know that, you know... A&R attempted to shape it. But we know that it existed before A&R... You know, and uh, Freya... Freya's the one who actually did it on Azeroth. She's the the, the, the the keeper that did most of the work on it. But... We know it existed beforehand... So what really is it like the Titans tried to use it as a backup copy, but is that what it was intended to be? Or is that just their attempt to to make use of it? It's like, this is the problem with when we make it too much of a computer metaphor for these kind of things. This it's not a constructed system. It's, it's based on a being that was already there Mm -hmm. and already growing. And it's really fascinating. Um, I, I do definitely think you're right about Ardenwield. Looks like the art from, like, especially from. Do you remember, like, when people were first going to the Emerald Dream on yeah, I the spent original lot,
1: days? I spent a lot of time in GM Island because I could pop it in there.
2: Yeah, that's what interests me about this: if they're if they're deliberately designing Ardenweald to look like the Emerald Dream on purpose to emphasize the connection between them. That means that down the road we could end up going to the Emerald Dream.
1: Which would be really interesting, especially with, and, and this is mild spoilers, we're at the end of the show, if you made it this far, congratulations. Uh, especially with Sarah being in Ardenweld and being important to that story, and even with her saying, like, like, oh, I'm going to be here for a while, okay, that's cool, but that could have other connotations. And with what we do to, like, get her to emerge from her little wild seed, like, There is some other interesting connotations there because what we're doing is purging her nightmare. What did we do when we were in the pockets of the Emerald Dream? We were purging the nightmare. There are a lot of parallels there that could potentially be pulled on. And I I would love, absolutely love to explore more of you know, the Emerald dream and find out where it connects, what its purposes were. If what we were told is actually true, or if it's more grand than that, if it was us getting an interpretation of a system that the Titans had never seen before and have just, you know, it's like seeing something for the first time and just pulling something out of your rear end of, oh yeah, this is clearly what it does, which who knows, that could have been exactly what they did. You know, there's so much potential here, for some really cool offshoot stories during or after Shadowlands that I am absolutely here for it. So I don't, is there anything else you want to add on that one?
2: Uh, no, because as you pointed out to me before, I was going on and on and on about the last thing, so I don't want to keep <laughs> doing that.
1: Uh, but that's hit okay. Hit my
2: one button, but I don't need to have like three questions where I don't shut up for an hour. <laughs>
1: But that's okay, because I think we are out of time here. So, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. Your continued support means this podcast site community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast with a queue, and an ad-free site experience. Again, if you have questions for the show, please feel free to send them in to us. You can email them at podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Uh, you could also send them to us on our Discord. We do have our patron and supporters chat uh specific or patron and supporters questions for the podcast and queue as well as the queue questions feel free to drop them in there uh and for anybody who we didn't get to your questions this week don't worry we will save them for our next show but thank you very much we'll see you next week <laughs>